Well, grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Genesis as we make our way through the book of Genesis now, but really the Old Testament this year together. It's been one exciting story after another, and we're spending three weeks with Joseph, and the theme in Joseph's life is trust God with your future. Uh, So we're going to be at Genesis chapter 39. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that contained in the Word of God are clear and comprehensive instructions on our future. God gives us guidance and direction on how we can walk by faith when it comes to our future. Uh, Yesterday, Lauren and I went out to eat. We went to uh, Noodles and Company, took the whole fam. You been to Noodles and Company? Okay, not all that bad. But they give you chopsticks, and they give you chopsticks in a wrapper, like it's all packaged up, and they put instructions on the package of how to use chopsticks which I wanted to read because I still haven't mastered the art. Okay, over three decades on the planet, I still can't get it down. Here's the instructions they put on the wrapper. (laughs) Good luck! (laughs) It didn't help. I did not have good luck, and I did not use the chopsticks, but my daughters were doing better than I was, but it's all right. Well, hey, I'm grateful that in God's Word, when it comes to our future, He gives us more instruction than, Good luck! (laughs) See how it comes together. And in the life of Joseph, God gives us so much instruction and faith on what it means to trust God specifically with our future. That's the topic of the morning. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Father in heaven, we know that you are omniscient and all-knowing. And our future, though it is unseen to us, is something that you see in advance. Something that you hold in the palm of your hand. We need to trust you with our future and use the story of Joseph to increase our faith in you, particularly when it comes to the things that are coming our way. We pray that you would increase our faith in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Genesis chapter 39 is where we're at. Uh, And just to, uh, if you weren't here last week, just to bring you up to speed, we started with Joseph last week, and he was his daddy's favorite child. Daddy dressed him up like a rainbow in a coat of many colors, and And then God gave him a few dreams and showed Joseph that he was going to be the most prominent in his family. Well, Joseph ran and kind of bragged to his brothers. And and you have ten older brothers, just a little word of advice. Don't tell them that they're all going to bow down to you one day. okay? Because you're going to get pounded, or even worse, sold into slavery like Joseph did. Brothers almost killed him, sold him to this traveling band of merchants, and they dragged him down to Egypt. Joseph basically lost all freedom. He was treated like an animal. He had absolutely no rights. Problem is, God decided to reveal Joseph, his future, to him in advance. In a dream, he's like, hey, you're going to have this sweet future, and like your family's all going to bow down to you, and it's got something to do with food, and even the sun and the moon and the stars are going to bow down to you. You're going to be like amazing. But now he's a slave in Egypt. Well, Joseph is learning to trust God with his future, and so are we. So check out chapter 39, verse 19. We don't have time to tell this story, but Joseph is about to get in trouble for something he didn't do. The wife of his master, Potiphar, is going to accuse him of rape. He didn't do it. And in verse 19, we pick up the story. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. Now pause there for a moment, like... You ever feel in life like, can it get any worse? You ever feel that way? Like when I thought yesterday was the worst day of my life, I was wrong. 
today is the worst day of my life. I was wrong. First, my brothers try and kill me. Then they decide to make money by selling me. Then I'm a, this like pathetic servant in the house of a... Then I get accused of rape and I didn't even do it. Now I'm in jail. And God told me that I was going to be really powerful and people were going to be bound down to me. I'm bound down to everybody here. Could it get any worse? But check out verse 21. I love this. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Hey, I think we'd all agree that if God wanted to be anywhere on this planet, he could pick some pretty sweet places to hang out. Am I right? Like he could be on a beach in Cancun just watching the waves come in. He could be at some mountaintop in the Alps looking at the scenery that he created. I mean, he could pick some pretty nice places to hang out. Where is God located today? In jail with Joseph. Right there with him. Jot this down in your notes. Hey, trust God with your future because God will never abandon you. God will never abandon you. Now, I know what you want when you get stuck in a trial, when God brings pain into your life, when you feel like you're in darkness and have no hope of escape, what's the first thing you pray for? What is it? What is it? God, get me out of here. Get me. So, so you can imagine Joseph's surprise when the jail door swings, and God steps in, and then the door closes behind him. And God sits down with him. The Lord was with him. Wait a minute. This isn't what I asked for. I don't want you to come in and sit down with me. I want you to come in and get me out of here. Isn't that what you pray for? Get me out of this trial. Stop it now. This is too hard. I can't take it anymore. What are you doing sitting down? The Lord was with him. God will never abandon you. And by the way, that phrase, the Lord was with him, does not just mean God was seated somewhere in the corner. Like, yeah, he's here somewhere. Who knows? He was with him in a way where he showed his presence to him in a special way. Hey, you can draw some prayers from this realization in Joseph's life. If, you're, if you feel like you're there, you're there where you don't want to be, there's no hope of getting out anytime soon, hey, jot this down. Here's the first prayer you can pray. God, make your presence known in my trial. Make your presence known in my trial. It says the Lord was with him and he showed him steadfast love. Father, if you're not going to get me out, you're here with me, show me steadfast love here. And it's not just steadfast love. There's one more. This is an extra note that I added after the bulletin was run. You've you got to write the whole thing down. Sorry, but... God, make your presence known in my trial. And God, make your provision known in my trial. The Lord wasn't just there. He was favoring him. He was giving him responsibility. He was giving, he was protecting him. He was with him. And God will be with you when you find yourself in this trial. Pray that it be so, Lord. Make your presence known in a special way. Lord, make your provision known in a special way. And I believe that God does reserve special, miraculous unforeseen provision for when you are going through a, a trial. Hey, hey, is this economy hitting your budget? Is this, is this Christmas season of mixed with fear and where's the money going to come from? Are you in a time of famine? Hey, guess what? God's got special provision stored up for you just for this time. 
Okay, well, well, how serious is God of providing for me when I'm going through a tough time? Okay, how about this? With the Israelites, God caused food to fall out of the sky in the desert. Look, what is it? It's dinner. Who fired a shot? Nobody. It's just falling all around us. If God can make it rain turkey, okay, he can bring food into your cupboard. No problem. But, 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 are you going to walk by faith through the trial? Or are you just going to keep, get me out of it, get me out of it, get me out of it, get me out of it. Okay, Lord, if you're not going to get me out of it, make your presence known, make your provision known in a special way. Because God will never abandon you. Hey, trust him with your future. Here's the next one, trust him with your future, because God is at work in unseen ways. Write that down. He's at work in unseen ways. Reading on in chapter 40, verse 1. Well, it says in verse 22, the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. In chapter 40, verse 1, it says, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. Okay, two very important positions. We don't have these elected officials in our government, so let me tell you what they were. Okay, the cupbearer decided what the, what the uh, pharaoh got to drink, which guarded him from like being poisoned to death. So the cupbearer would take a little sip. Pharaoh would watch if he died. And if he didn't die, pharaoh would drink too. Baker, chief baker, okay, decides what gets in the pharaoh's tummy. And again, would, would sample this food. Okay, take a bite. Okay, cheesecake, check. Turkey, take a bite. Okay, check. And so there's high-ranking officials back in this day. They get thrown in the slammer because they did something wrong. Who knows what? And Joseph's in charge of them. Okay, verse 5. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream. And each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Okay, what face do you think they might have had that they were Show me you're like, I just saw a ghost face. Go ahead, go. Now you got to do better than that. On the count of three, show me your I just saw a ghost face. One, two, three, go. This is my I just saw a ghost face. You got, Aaron, you got the best one. You're going to get a piece of candy after the service. Look at his I just saw a ghost face. Check that out. See that? Big, wild eyes. Joseph shows up and he sees two of those. And he's like, what's the matter? What's the... He saw they were troubled. Verse 7. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today they said to him we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them and joseph said to them do not interpretations belong to god please tell them to me important moment put yourself in joseph's shoes these two guys say we just had dreams and we can't quite figure them out what could joseph have said oh yeah i've had dreams too yeah, I had dreams a long time ago. God showed me that I'm supposed to be this big, important, 
mighty figure. God showed me that I'm supposed to be with my family, and they're supposed Dad had dreams too. Forget about them. Couldn't he have said that? He could have lost faith right there. But what he said is so filled with faith. Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. So he not only believed by faith God in the jail cell gave the dream, but God by faith would give Joseph the interpretation. He's walking by faith and he's in a prison. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. You shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. So get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. Here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Wow, this is amazing. This is it. God's going to get me out. He just gave this guy a dream, and he gave me the interpretation, and I told him what it is, and in three days he's going to be back on the job, and he's going to talk to Pharaoh. This is it. I'm going to get out. Wow. Okay, reading on. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, hey, he had a pretty good dream. I'm going to tell him my dream now. He said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Yes. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Yes. From you. Uh-oh. And hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. I wish I hadn't told him my dream. That's a bad dream. You're going to die in three days. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for his birthday party for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer among the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer cup bearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. It happened. It actually happened. Hey, are you, are you amazed by our God? Let me tell you something. You know, he could give you a dream and show you what's going to happen in three days. Just like that. He could show you what's going to happen three days from now and he can get it spot on. And how did he do it? <laughs> okay. They were unconscious, sleeping. So God, if he wanted to reveal Ed's future to him, could take unconscious Ed, sleepy Ed, and mess with his subconscious in such a way to give him this little picture so that when he wakes up, he knows God did something. Then he could give somebody else the ability consciously to interpret what God showed you subconsciously. Are you amazed at how God can interact with you and reveal things to you if he really wants to? Isn't that fascinating? And this is what he's doing. He's showing the future to these people in an amazing way. But there's a problem. In verse 23 it says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. 
trust God with your future because he's at work in unseen ways. And the key word there is unseen. Wow. Joseph, you know, we find out, has been 17. He was sold into slavery. He's been waiting for God to do what he promised so far for 11 years. And he doesn't know this, but he still has two years to go in jail, rotting. And this dignitary shows up, and God gives the dream and the interpretation, and Joseph's all hopeful, and he, he's going to come any day, maybe a week, maybe. And then, and then maybe he's not going to come, and then he's not going to come. This is called a test. This is a trial. And God is with you, but he's testing you to make sure that you will wait patiently for him to bring his promised future about. Will you pass that test, or will you fail that test? What, what's with these guys getting the dream one day, and three days later, it happens? What's, what's with them getting God coming through for them like that? And what's with me going on year number 11 of my wait? But one of the things we see here is that Joseph was exceptional at waiting for the Lord. You can jot this down. This is a prayer that can be drawn right from Joseph's example. God, help me to wait with unwavering faith. Help me. I think waiting is kind of an overlooked virtue. All right? You know, when you ask somebody, hey, what, what are your like best qualities? You never hear anybody say, I can wait in a line like nobody else. You put me in a line and I'll never get out. I can wait and wait and wait. You know, that's not like, like if you're looking for a husband, women, and what would you like to find in a man? Oh, he's got to be great at waiting in lines. I mean, you put him in a toll line, you put him in a roller coaster, he's got to be amazing. That, right, that's, that's like an overlooked virtue. But here in Joseph's life, he is exceptional at waiting for the Lord. I found another, this is another person who's really good at waiting for something. Check this picture out, waiting. How do you like that? <laughs> waiting. Stay, stay, stay. Doesn't that just look mean? But if you're honest, if you're honest, some of you feel like that's the way God's treating you. Stay, wait, stay put. And you're like, but it's so hard. You might feel like God's taking you nowhere. He's not getting me anywhere. I'm stuck here, and I can't get there, and this is another picture what you might feel like God's put you on. God put you on a train, and the train is just that. Rusty, broken down. This thing ain't going anywhere anytime soon, and God's got me right there, like in the last car. You feel that way? God is at work in unseen ways. God helped me to wait with unwavering faith. Unwavering faith. Psalm 105 18 gives us a commentary on what was going on here later. It says this, His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Tested means refined as by fire. Tested means the heat gets so hot that anything but the precious gold gets burned away. It's painful. It's hard. It's called testing. And maybe you're there. Maybe you're in the time of waiting. Maybe you feel like, 
God's doing nothing. He's doing absolutely nothing, and I don't think I can wait any longer. Is that you? Do you feel that way? I had to search my own heart this week, and there are several things God's making me wait for, several things that I wish he had come through on yesterday or, or a year ago or five years ago, and I'm still waiting, waiting. And, and what, hit, what hit me this week was this. I'm not really mad that God's doing nothing, though that's what I say. I'm not really mad that God's doing nothing. I'm mad that God's doing something painful to grow my faith. That's the truth in my heart. I'm deceiving myself if I say, God, you're doing nothing. I'm deceiving myself if I say that. I'm just upset that God's doing something painful to grow my faith. And that can be a barrier to your willingness to wait. God, help me to wait with unwavering faith. God's at work in unseen ways, and Joseph didn't know it, but this moment with the chief cupbearer was going to be instrumental in bringing about the future Joseph was fearing wouldn't come to existence. So here's the third point, and we're going to stay on this one for a little while. We're going to read a lot of this story during this point, too. The Word of God is going to get a chance to speak for itself as we just cover so much Scripture. But jot this down. Trust God with your future. God will never abandon you because He's at work in unseen ways. And third, because God will always prove faithful. Jot that down. God will always prove faithful. And you may want to circle the word always. You may want to draw an arrow to the word always and maybe even put a little exclamation point there. And if you want to star it too, go ahead and star it because God will say it. Always prove faithful. Check out chapter 41. Genesis 41, after two whole years. It's just like written in passing. Like, like if Joseph got to read this story, he would have flinched at the, oh, after two whole years. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed on the reed grass. So these first seven cows, they come up out of the Nile, and it says they were plump. All right, so let's call these the sumo cows. They're they're big. What sound do you think sumo cows would make? Go ahead, just make it. It's got to be a little lower, though, like... These sumo cows come up out of the Nile, and they fed it. They're still hungry. They fed in the reed grass. Verse 3, and behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin. So, all right, so these are like the scrawny cows. Like, what sound do you think a scrawny cow might make? Like, moo, moo. And behold, somebody just meowed. No, they don't meow. (laughs) Meow. Wow. Behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. <laughs> you look good. Now, I, I have Animal Planet, and I'm no expert on cows, but I can tell you this, cows don't eat cows. Pharaoh knew this to be true, which made this a bit of a perplexing dream. He goes on to say later that after the scrawny little cows ate the big old sumo cows, they didn't even get any bigger. They were just like, ah, I'm scrawny. So Pharaoh wakes up, he's like, oh, weird dream. Okay, I'm going back to bed. Verse 5, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. 
Behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears, and Pharaoh well, what was that? And behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. All right Now these folks were kind of quasi-political. Like back then, the advisors or the cabinet of the Pharaoh kind of used the blend of politics and astrology and witchcraft to figure these things out. They had like classes professionally trained in dream interpretation. They even thought that these magicians were somewhat like gods themselves. Okay, now Pharaoh taught his people he was a god, the great, you know, the big one. Uh, but these were like kind of like gods too. So all these little gods get in a room trying to figure out Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh's still in his PJs. Okay, he's troubled. Pharaoh told them his dreams. Get this, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Okay, everybody go like this. Go ahead, just do that. This is the wisest people in the nation. They're all going like this. Which is a problem when you tell your people you're a god. And then you're like, I don't get the dreams. Uh, And no one in my cabinet gets them either. God has an ability to astound and perplex even the mightiest rulers on the planet. Go ahead, try and figure it out. Good luck. They didn't get it. Well, reading on here in verse 9, someone in the room has an epiphany. It says, then the chief cupbearer, up, oh, remember him? Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, uh, can you see this unfolding? Can you see what God's about to do? Cue dream. Cue second dream. Get the cupbearer into the room when Pharaoh tells him about the dream and then make him remember what happened with his dream. God's wiring this whole thing. And the chief cupbearer, verse 9, said to the Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Hey, uh, I, yeah, remember what you did to us? There was this, like, servant slave in jail who told us all what you were going to do three days before you did it. Pretty impressive, huh? Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. I love this moment. I like to see this on YouTube, right? Joseph is, like, in jail. He's, like, he's like scrubbing the jail bars with a toothbrush, right? Day number whatever of his incarceration, just, like, working and, hey, You're going to see Pharaoh right now. Get dressed. And when he had shaved himself, changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. He's standing in front of Pharaoh. Within like an hour. It's it's the Pharaoh. Now, I don't know about you, but he's probably thinking what? Like, I'm in big trouble, right? When you think that, I'm standing in front of Pharaoh. What did I do? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. This is a good moment to pause. Of all the things Joseph could say, what could he say? Yet again, he could say, forget about it. Yet again, he could say, yeah, yeah, I could tell you your dreams. 
But listen to where his heart is. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. In Hebrew, that's one word. They've got one word for this. Not to me. One word. Not to me. It's like one word. Not to me. It's the first thing he says before the man who could set him free and restore his fortunes and give him a new life. Send him home. Not, not to me. Not to me. Don't even look at me. Don't even think I can do this. No. He's demoting himself instantly. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And he's so confident. What a thing of faith. I mean, I don't know even like I'd be sitting there like, God, you better be here with me right now. Like, if you don't give me this interpretation, I'm in big trouble. But he's like, not to me. God will give you a favorable interpretation. Bring it on. What faith, what courage, what boldness. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I, he tells him the whole dream again. Okay, so skip down to verse 24. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears are blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land. And the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. Listen to the words. will consume the land. It will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to a point overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. Food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt. Get this. So that the land may not perish through the famine. It's a strong word. That same word was used when God told Noah what he was about to do to the planet. I will wipe, I will cut off all life, cut off. Here the word perish is the same word. It will be cut off. The world is in danger. And first, first by flood in Noah's day, this is what God was bringing as a judgment, and now in Joseph's day it wasn't by flood, but by famine. But there's a difference. Now God brings a Hebrew to stand before the Pharaoh to bring a blessing to all the earth. What does this sound like? This sounds like the promise he made to Abraham. The promise he made to Noah was no more judgment, but the promise he made to Abraham was blessing to the earth through a descendant. And here Joseph is standing between the world and this awful famine. Wow, God is being faithful. God is being faithful. Not to mention, he just told Pharaoh the next 14 years of what was going to come. Hey, we're all, we're all afraid. Can God handle our little world, right? And Lord, I'm afraid of... 30 days from now, there's this thing, and I'm really afraid that you're not going to be able to handle it. And here God's like, hey, hey, Pharaoh, I'm going to give you the next 5,000 days of weather. 
crop forecast for 14 years. The earth is going to go around the sun 14 times, and I can predict every breeze, and every, every beam of light, and every field. Is that impressive? Does that amaze you? Does that amaze you that if God wanted to, he could be like, here's, here's 5,000 days worth of headlines in your life. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Thankfully, Pharaoh was amazed too. Verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. I kind of imagine him giving a little sidelong glance to his wise men. There, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Is this really happening? Is this really happening? Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He made him ride in the second chariot and they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. He gave him a new nickname. Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonath Paniah. And he gave him in marriage Ozanath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. He was 30 years old. It happened. It happened. What were the dreams? The dreams were these like, these like stalks of food were, got up and bowed down in front of me. What's with this food vision God gave me 13 years ago? This was it. What's with the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to me? This was it. He had such power, such authority. And all of this is, is amazing. The ring, this is the Pharaoh's personal seal, his signet ring. It basically sign my name on anything, anything you want. Blank check. You can access the treasury. Take my ring, stamp it on anything. You can have anything you want. He gave him a gold chain. Gave him a chariot. He's part now of the presidential motorcade. He, he gave him fine linen, which don't miss the symbolism of this. What did his brothers take from him? His coat ripped it apart, right, and lied to dad about it. What did Potiphar's wife take from him? What, his, his cloak, right, grabbed it as he ran out the house and used it to lie about him and get him thrown in jail. And this is so symbolic now of Pharaoh giving him this fine linen outfit. It's, his reputation is restored. His integrity is restored. His blessing from the Lord is restored, meaning in the end, no matter what people do to you, they can't take from you what God wants to give you. And in a single moment, God exalted him to the highest place of authority of power under Pharaoh. Just imagine if this happened in our country, okay? Tonight, the president gives a special address to the nation. And in his address, he says, I have fixed the fiscal cliff problem. Here it is. Okay, there's this guy who told me about a dream I had last night. And, and he explained to me the next 14 years of what's coming to our economy. We pulled him out of this maximum security prison, okay? 
He was accused of rape, but don't worry. We checked it out, and he's clean. And, and we're going to put him in charge of the entire economy for the next 14 years. In fact, we're going to send him out of the limo. When you see his limo, there's going to be secret security officers running ahead of the limo. They're going to be like, bow down, bow down, bow down, bend the knee, bend the knee. The rest of his life, everywhere Joseph went, there were people, their job. What's your job? Oh, I, I'm the guy who runs ahead of Joseph saying, bow down, bow down, bow down, bow down. The rest of his life. Literally everyone, everyone had to bow before him. Would that go to your head? In a moment, after the wait, God was faithful. It took a moment. It took like five minutes. And Joseph's in charge of everything. And this nickname that Pharaoh gave him means God speaks and lives. That's kind of a cool nickname, isn't it? Did you have a nickname growing up? I had a nickname in high school. My nickname was Chico. I, it's from a band thing. It's stupid. Do not call me it. Okay, but that is my nickname. But Joseph's got this nickname. How, how cool would it be if your nickname was, hey, based on everything I see in your life, I'm going to nickname you God speaks and lives. That's your nickname. Hey, here comes God speaks and lives. Look at him. He's got, oh, that's all God speaks and lives, right? It's, it's better than a nickname like Peanuts or something, right? It's like... <laughs> God speaks and lives. That's what I'm going to call you. Wow. And then he gets this wife, and likely she is not a common servant girl. This was from a prestigious family. So this was like a celebrity wedding, like the paparazzi was in the helicopters over the... And it says Joseph was a very handsome man. And uh, so this is like a celebrity wedding going on. I, he's like, what just happened? I was in jail, scrubbing bars with a toothbrush. I get in front of Pharaoh. I tell him what his dream means. And then I'm the second most powerful man on the earth. And I got a wife. And I got a credit card with no limit. And I got everyone bowing down to me everywhere I go. Conclusion, conclusion, trust God with your future. Why? Because God will always prove faithful. Always. It's just a question of when. And you have to pass the test. You have to pass the test of waiting. And some wait three days, some wait three years, some wait 11 years, 13 years. You've got to wait. Abraham had to wait 25 years. You see how God thousands of years ago is the same he is today? That's the way he goes with me. And maybe you're in the place where you've been waiting in your mind for far too long. Get me out of here. And this is a role model for you. Joseph is a role model for you and me of persevering, enduring faith, of hope, of serving the Lord in the meantime while he waits for his tomorrow to arrive. That's a role model for you. What an example. A 13-year-long nightmare, hardship, setbacks, frustration, injustice, and yet also 13 years of God's presence, 13 years of clinging to God's promise, 13 years of testing and preparing for a moment when Joseph's fortunes changed forever. This is so powerful for us while we wait. And Joseph commemorates this event in his life by how he names his children. Check out verse 51. In verse 51, chapter 41, it says, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship 
in all my Father's house. So the name means like making to forget. Hey, here's a few prayers that draw right up out of this example in Joseph's life. You can jot this down. Hey, God, make me forget all my hardships. Make me forget all my hardships. Hey, listen, this is a promise of God that the trial you can't stop thinking about, that the pain you can't get out of your life, that the relationship you can't fix. Do you know God promises that every trial in your life has an expiration date? Hey, are you glad for that? Are you glad for that, that these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all? Are you glad that the Bible says in the life to come, the former things will neither come to mind nor be remembered? Do you know you're one, close, you're one day closer to the end of this trial today than you were yesterday? Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? God, make me forget. And often it will happen in this life where the day will come where God does such an amazing thing that years go by and you're like, oh, oh wait a minute, yeah, that, that thing, I remember that. I remember that that happened. Yeah, that was tough. And God can make you forget the pain that you're experiencing right now. Then he names a second child. It says in verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So it calls, the name sounds like making fruitful. So drop this down, Lord. You always prove faithful, so I just ask that you would make me fruitful in my land of affliction. Make me fruitful in my land of affliction. What a request. This is so powerful. You see, because there's times that God, there's times that God's not going to get you totally out of it. You're in the land of your affliction. But God will bring about abounding fruitfulness while you're in that place. Hey, hey, where Joseph was, it like, he's like, this still stinks where I am. But what God's doing here is marvelous. You might feel like, you might feel that same way. You might feel like, Lord, wow, you won't change all of this, but make me fruitful in my affliction. And when God comes through and does astonishing things, you're going to feel the way Joseph did. In fact, I read an amazing story this week about just how Joseph may have felt. Uh, he probably felt like this guy. We'll put a picture of him up on the screen. This is a 34-year-old man who wanted to set a new world record. And the world record he wanted to set, the world record, <laughs> get this, was for the longest fist pumping ever. Meaning he wanted to do this for the longest anyone has ever done it. So he set out for the record and he fist pumped for 17 hours straight. In fact, he had to super glue his hand shut so that it didn't come open and ruin the record. From 11 a.m. Friday past 3 a.m. Saturday, this guy ran around campus and all he did was this, yes, yes, yeah, he was just fist pumping like this. And what an amazing like symbol of enthusiasm and excitement. And you know what? That's the way Joseph felt. When after 13 years, God came through for him, he felt like he could just do this, like, for 17 hours straight. And you know what? You and I are going to have these moments in this life. And heaven is just like that forever, right? Like, wow, this is amazing. This is so awesome. yeah, that's coming. But here in this life, he's going to give you deliverance in times where you're just like, I can't believe it. And in like an instant, he did this. And you're going to have it. You're going to have it in your family. 
We're going to have it in our church when God finally gives us a facility so we don't have to come back to this place ever again. And it's going to happen time and time and time again. It's going to be like, he did it. He came through. Wow. Leaving you with the question now, will you trust God with your future? Based on everything we learned about him in Joseph's story, based on everything we saw in Joseph's life as an example to you and me, hey, are you going to prove faithful? While you wait, let's pray and trust God with our future right now. Father in heaven, we understand that you are sovereign and you are good and you are mighty and you are just. But it can be so hard to trust you with our future. We can't see it. We can't control it. We can't determine it. But you hold it. You've shown your ability to reveal it. Therefore, you are worth our faith. You will be present with us while we wait for you to be faithful to your word. Lord, I just can't help but ask that just as Joseph did, that you would make those who are waiting to forget all their hardship at one point in the future, the time of your choosing, that you would bring about the forgetfulness that comes when your blessing arrives. Father, we pray that you would make some fruitful in their affliction, showing your ability to sustain them and bless them, even while you don't change their circumstances around them. Lord, we know that you won't accomplish everything for us this side of heaven. That's what heaven's for. We don't expect this world to become heaven. But Lord, we know time and time and time and time again, you will prove yourself faithful and loving. That's what we cry out for, Lord. We trust you with our future, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.